that recording? It is recording. And uh, the hope that we have in him. And, you know, I, I heard um, an example uh, about hope recently. It went something like this. Um, we can live for a matter of a few days without water and for a matter of weeks without food. We can live for a matter of minutes without air, right? How long can you hold your breath? But you can't live one second without hope. If you don't have some hope, you just lose life. And I know that that's true because that's where I was at. I was struggling with the question of hope um, in my life, which is what brought me to the Lord. And uh, I, I know I've shared my story many times um, throughout the, the course of things. And before we, uh, before we get going here, we should open in prayer. Would you open us in prayer, Brother Tim? give you thanks, Lord, for the amazing blessings, and for the fact that you do give us hope, and that you give us a future. Lord, we just thank you for that, and we thank you for uh, the fact that we can maybe represent you to others, and Lord, help us do so in a way that's worthy. So the, the heart of hope is prayer. Um, so we need to need to always be talking to God about what's going on. I was I was uh, reflecting on hope and um, how even in a hopeless world, what happens is people, in order to to uh, get out of bed in the morning, you have to have motivation, right? And we call that motivation emotion. Um, in fact, the, the word motivation is captured in emotion. And um, that um, it takes a, a positive emotion to get out of bed. How many have had a negative emotion and have remained in bed? Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. In order to actually make that step, first step of the day, um, you have to have some kind of a positive emotion, something that you're looking forward to. And there are a lot of things that we look forward to. Well, yeah, it could be a, a fire or something. Yeah, or, or you have something more urgent than that, even. Um, so, but, but see, all of that is, is still speaking to uh, something that causes us to, to look for relief, look for hope. Um, whether it's relief from suffering, whether it's uh, a desire to be in a better place. And we have all sorts of things that we do to get that positive emotion going. And sometimes we wrap it around food. Sometimes we wrap it around um, an activity, right? And we have all of these things in our lives to keep us busy. But all those are, as I was listening to Rabbi Zacharias this morning, are little tiny mini hopes, right? But they're captured in a larger story of hopelessness. There is no overarching hope. 
And that's where I found myself when uh, I was a young man. I, I left home when I was 16 and uh, ended up in a very short period of time on, uh, on the street and figured out what that was about. And this was a time before there were a lot of services for kids over that age that were on the street. So um, I experienced a lot of things, not necessarily good. Kind of the capstone of that was when I was 17, approaching my 18th birthday. I was just walking down the road. I was trying to get to a place where I could hitchhike because I was out in the middle of the country, and you can't really hitchhike in the country, and this van goes driving by. I just stopped. I just felt something was wrong, and this van stopped down the road from me a bit. And all of a sudden, a guy got out, and I just stood and watched him. And then I saw the rifle come up, and it was pointed at me. And uh, a lot of thoughts went through my head at that moment. <clears throat> he ended up taking three shots at me in the course of me trying to escape. And I jumped over a, a barbed wire fence and caught my... It's amazing how much energy you have. This fence is probably 10 foot tall. <laughs> but I made it over that fence. And uh, I still have the jacket today that I tore um, as I was going over that fence and that actually caught some of the buckshot in the back of the jacket just to remind me of where I was at at that particular moment because I was at a place of hopelessness. I didn't really have much to live for. I lived from mini hope to mini hope. You know, My mini hope that day as I was walking down the road was to get to a party that night so that I could extinguish all feeling in my, my mind and in my body. Uh, because that's the way I lived at that point in time. And uh, so I was searching for relief and had hope that joining friends and partying would, uh, would take that, give me that relief. And, uh, and in that moment, I, I cried out to God because I'd heard about God. People hear about God all the time, right? You hear about God in the news, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, we have an intuitive sense that there is a God, um, when we look at the picture, we say, wow, that's a beautiful picture. When we say that's a beautiful picture, there's an intuitive sense that there is a God. That this isn't just a random set of events that occurred in the course of uh, an endless history. That's not the way it works. We understand that there was a, a beginning. It says, in the beginning, God, and he created all things. He created the heavens and the earth. And so we, we have that intuitive understanding. And in that moment where I was about ready to lose my life, and that was my expectation, um, I cried out to God, that intuitive sense. I said, Lord, I, I said, God, I didn't say, Lord, um, I need your help. You know, it's kind of one of those foxhole type things where you cry out, if you deliver me from this, I will do that. I didn't even have time really to do that. I just said, help. And uh, I made it into a cornfield and ran off, and uh, I came out all beat up and bloodied, and, and the first thing that met me was a mean old uh, barnyard dog. And I thought, okay, I just escaped the gun and ripped apart by this dog. And uh, anyway, I finally made it and called the police, and they finally showed up. And uh, I said, well, you're a really lucky guy. Very few people actually have three shots from a shotgun you know, in their direction and walk away. And, uh, and that started me questioning, there's got to be a hope. There has to be a God. And I got to the point where I was not going to let go until I found the answer to that question. And I asked a lot of people. I asked a lot of sages. Um, I thought I had a handle on life, the universe, and everything, and it got turned upside down. And 
a matter of two minutes when I met a guy, and he, uh, I, after I'd spent three days playing pool with him and explaining life, the universe, and everything, and how this whole cosmic system worked, and and life and death and all this stuff, and um, he said to me, well, that's really interesting, but I believe that uh, there is a God, a personal God, and that he came in his son, Jesus, and that um, he came and died because of my sin that separates me from God, and that he was really dead, just like one day we will be really dead, and he was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he was raised, to eternal life and that um, not only was he raised but what he was doing was he was accomplishing my resurrection and my eternal life and he said I believe that that he is my savior and uh, and I can't remember the exact words that's my paraphrase of what he said but he basically gave me the gospel message in less than two minutes and I had no answer it was either the truth or it was not, and it sure sounded true. History said it was true. The Bible said it was true, and I was looking for a truth in a book. And my heart said it was true. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart in that moment in the relationship that I had with this guy over a, a pool table. God spoke to my heart and said, this is true, and it's for you, right? And that changed my life. I left there um, and didn't know what to do, right? So I ran again, and I was hitchhiking on my way to uh, um, visit a friend in Texas to tell him about this God that I just heard about and what did he think about it. And I stopped for the night in a campground in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, place called Elk Creek Marina outside of Gunnison where I later went to school and uh, stopped for the night and there was a campfire program and some campus crusade for Christ guys were sitting there playing guitars and I was totally into music so I sat and listened to music and then everybody left except for me and this this guy and he said so what's up with you and I told him the whole story just like I'm telling you right? he said he, he laughed I'll never forget that but it wasn't a laugh at me like I'm a fool, but it was a, uh, a statement that, wow, man, the world just sold you a bill of goods, and isn't it a lie? And I knew it. And he, said, and he said the same thing, told me about the gospel, and I said, so what do I do? What is my response to this truth? He said, well, you ask Jesus to be your Lord. It's that simple. And then you act upon his promise to you. <clears throat> That's what faith is. So I did. I, I prayed a prayer, which I can't tell you what the name of that prayer was or the words that I said. Um, I got up from there, and I, didn't, I was a new man. I don't know what happened, seriously. It was like the wind blew and something happened, but I had no clue what it was. But all of a sudden, I had a desire to read the Bible in a way that I'd never read it before. I had no clue where to start. The guy gave me a Bible, New Testament. I still have it to this day. And, uh, and I started on a journey of discipleship. And today we're going to see um, one of those journeys of discipleship in our brother Bob. He's uh, <clears throat> going to give his testimony before the church, not necessarily the, the testimony that I gave in declaring all that. I've seen his testimony. It's glorious. 
And, uh, <clears throat> but it's the same story of all of us in here, right? That God cared so much <clears throat> that he came to us, born in a manger, right? We, we, if you were here for the Christmas Eve service, you got to hear the Christmas story told again. And that is so powerful declaration of love that God would leave everything to come into the muck and the mire to save us. And he put a new song in our mouth. And that song is a song of praise praise to him. We're praising him. We're singing his glory. And that's exactly what I read in Ephesians. So when I go through Ephesians, I always want to start the session with reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Very similar to what we just read in, in Romans. And it's, it's the story of what's happened to me and the story of what's happened to you and, and the continual work that God is doing in our life. When I read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, <clears throat> that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. That's that new song. That's that hope. It's the promise of God. And the promise of God is, is that we aren't going to be left in the muck and the mire, in a place where we have to create many hopes in order to get out of bed, but that we have a greater hope. The greater hope is life with him, being in union with Christ, the one who cared so much, his kind intention was that he would freely bestow on us this incredible blessing and that he would go to incredible, incredible cost in order to secure that blessing. In him we have redemption through his blood, that was the purchase price, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. <clears throat> when I read that, it, it totally blows me away. And then I get to uh, chapter 2 in Ephesians, and this is where we're going to pick up this morning. <clears throat> and we've already pretty much covered the first 10 verses. And uh, I'll just quickly run through these slides as I'm getting down there. Um, if we look at what um, the impact of the revelation of God should be on our lives, it should help us know who we are in Christ. Kind of what I just told you is my story, is how I'm coming to know my identity in Christ. 
I learn it more and more every day. As God causes me to remember, he doesn't cause me to remember in a, in a negative way. He causes me to remember in a way that brings glory to him. And sometimes I only, you know, I have those rose-colored glasses. I see that incredible work that is so powerful in my life that has drawn me forward into him. Um, and I sometimes want to forget those things that uh, when I, in my own will, when I'm in defiance against God and I stop my feet and say, no, I'm not going to do that, and then kind of encourages me. Um, I sometimes forget that, but I always remember in a good way that which he's doing, and that's why I tell you the story this morning, that we need to know who we are in Christ and that that should impact us in a way that causes us to live differently. That's what faith is. Faith is being impacted by the truth of God in a way that causes you to embrace that truth transformatively. You are transformed by his grace. You're transformed by the work that he's doing such that you walk as children of light. And ultimately, everybody in here will make a stand. Now, I don't know what that stand will be. Sometimes um, it's people's last breath, right? And what, how they live their life up to the last moment. We read about those people, martyrs, right? That sometimes happens. But a lot of times, that stand is against that which is wrong in the world. And you just say, you know, that's wrong. And you say it with such uh, clarity and assurance. Because God has declared it, and you say, if God said it, it's true. And you declare that in the way that you live, that other people see that, and they're, they're affected by that. That's taking a stand. It's how we walk as children of light and how we fight the spiritual battle. And uh, we talked about the, the process of salvation. We talked about exactly what I just read, which I call a doxology, which is about the, the glories of God. We uh, read through a thanksgiving prayer, and the, the core of the thanksgiving prayer of Paul is that we would know God, that we would know the hope of his calling, that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and that we would know his incomparably great power. A lot of times we want to know the power, but we don't understand how that power works. Right? We expect that God is going to do some kind of uh, supernatural work in our lives that everybody will see and, uh, and expect that that's the way God normally works. I would say that God normally works through the natural. Right? He created everything. And he uses that creation to reveal himself to his creation. That's the natural. And that's the way God normally works. Occasionally he works supernaturally, and that's what we think of as great power. But as we come into the light more and more, we understand that the natural working of God, that which he has ordained from before the foundation of the world, that is incredibly powerful. Right? So we, uh, we went through that understanding in, uh, in Paul's prayer for us. Then we went through a summary of uh, salvation theology. And I'm just going to read through it real quick. Uh, basically, I gave the, the four uh, rules of evangelism, and I said, no, it's really five, because it starts with an understanding that there is a God. And that's where I had to start when I was getting shot at. There is a God. <clears throat> and basically, it goes like this. After an understanding that there is a God, we understand that um, something went wrong 
that we've been corrupted, that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, and that we call that sin. <clears throat> and that <clears throat> what that sin does is it has a consequence. The consequence is, is that it separates us from a righteous God. We can't be in relationship with him um, because of what went wrong. But the good news is, is that God made a way for us. And that that way is in Jesus, who we celebrated his birth. We'll celebrate his death and resurrection here in just a few months. And we, every month, as we do communion, we recite that for the world. Remember, remember, remember. And finally, it's that fourth, fourth piece. You know, what do you do with that? That this, this affects you personally. Right? So as I read through this, <clears throat> I read <clears throat> in chapter 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, according to the uh, indulgences and desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That leads always to the so what question. right? We know that this is being written to uh, a group of Christians, um, and they're being encouraged to know, remember where they came from, Remember the consequence of that, that you're dead in that sin and transgression, and remember the glorious work of God on your behalf. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And we unpacked grace a little bit when we uh, were looking at that passage, and then last week we unpacked faith a little bit. What does faith mean? And um, I would side with James, um, Jesus' brother, who wrote the book of James, and uh, many times people put James in the wisdom literature classification as opposed to epistolary literature. Um, so I won't go into that a whole lot other than James was a wise guy, right? And what he said is, you know, you talk about your faith, let me show you my faith by the way that I live. Let me show you my faith by my works. And that that's what we understand, that's what I'm saying, is that faith is active. It requires that um, you take a stand and that you do walk in the light of the revelation that you've been given. And then what we're going to see is um, the only command that is in the book of Ephesians in the next verse. In verse 11 it says, Therefore, as a result of all this that you've just heard, therefore remember that formerly you the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, 
excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without hope in the world. So what we're commanded to do is remember where we came from. And that's exactly um, because Paul wants us to understand our union with Christ and how our faith is active and how our faith affects our walk and our, and our stand, ultimately, against evil. And we do that by remembering. And he says, remember, and this is a command, it's in the indicative. <clears throat> no, it's not in the indicative, it's in the imperative. Um, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, let me stop there for a minute. So there were two classes of people in the world, according to Paul. Remember what those classes are? Pardon? Right, circumcised and uncircumcised. So who were the circumcised? Israel, the Jews. At this point, it was the remnants of the tribe of Judah, and that uh, the northern kingdom had been scattered, but they also embraced um, the same promise of God. So there was a promise of God that was given initially to Adam and then to Noah. Um, So I'm speaking kind of like a covenant theologian here, tracing covenant through the Bible, um, through uh, Moses, um, through David. We understand that there was a promise through Abraham and that that promise was basically threefold that there would be a people of God. In other words, God didn't just create all of this and this, this thing that he said was very good. When he created humanity, he paused and he said, this is very good, right? Because he actually created in humanity, in humanity the image of himself. Not that we are God or that we are gods, but that we have attributes of God and that we can share in his life with him. That we can reflect back his glory. Right? That's an amazing thing. And that actually makes people very valuable. We're not valuable because of the skills and the talents and, and uh, the possessions that we might have. Right? That doesn't make us valuable. Um, and, you know, when you are sitting at the one end of an economic scale and you're looking at the other end of the economic scale, you might think, well, those guys are special or those gals are special. They've obviously got something I don't have. That isn't the way God declared it. He declared that all of humanity bears his image. And even though that's been corrupted by sin, it's still very valuable. It's precious to him. That's what we read about. And that he desires to pour out his blessing as he intended from before the foundation of the world upon us. Right? It says, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, in Christ. And he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. So he created us for a purpose. He created us to reflect his goodness, his righteousness. He created us to reflect his mercy and his grace. That's why we can do good works, right? We can do, as stewards of God's creation, the way he he created us, 
we can actually do the goodness of God. Not that we are God, but that we can be his hands and his feet in creation. And so that's what we were created for, but it got broken. And so we understand that there was this promise that God would have a people. Well, that got broken in the Garden of Eden. And there was a promise that those people would have a place in God's kingdom. That they would be citizens of that which he declares as the boundary of his kingdom. That includes all of what we understand of creation, but it also means that we were created to have access to the throne room of God. Just as the angels were created to have access to the throne room of God. So he's the king, and it's his domain. It's his dominion. He is the sovereign. But he created all things to have access in his kingdom. So he created us to be his people. He created us to have access in his kingdom to be citizens. And finally, he created us to be in union with him, that we would experience the very presence of God in our lives and that that presence would come through the life that he has given us. That we would actually, um, as it talks about in Revelation, he would be the center of our world. He would be the center of our life. We would have no need for any other kind of illumination. We would be complete in him. There's a word for that kind of completeness as God originally designed us to be his people in his place with his presence. That was the promise given to Abraham. And that promise, I would say, would go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Um, What did I say right before that? There's a word. There's a word. That's what I'm getting at. There is a word that describes that, and it is central to this passage. I always have an end in mind. Um, the word is shalom. Do you know what the word shalom is? Peace. Jaru shalom. Yaru shalom. Yep. And so the name of the city um, comes from that which God intended and designed, shalom, which means more, it's often translated peace, but it means more than just peace. It really means, um, the way I would say it, according to God's design, the way he intended it. So what happens is, is when you wake up in the morning and you see the world, you realize that it's broken. It's not according to God's design. It's not according to God's intent. Something is, is wrong. But the, way, the reason you feel that is because you have an in, in a sense that God created it right. That there is a, a way according to his design that you are complete and whole. That you are fulfilled. That you are content that you are at peace. And that that peace isn't just a cessation of hostility. It's actually a completeness in God's presence. That's what shalom is, and that's what that promise is. It's about peace. So you started about hope versus hopelessness. Yep. We read Romans 5. Yep. 
And, and then now we're talking about shalom or, or sort of completeness. Mm -hmm. and I, so I was, and James says it too, um, that we should consider it all joy um, to be in persecution. Yep. But in, in verse 2 here of Romans 5, you know, he ends it with, and we exalt in the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring perseverance, perseverance, character, etc. Character, oh, so, yep. I mean, in my sort of meager walk, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm there yet, you know, but it's that shalom. You'd have to have this amazing peace about your hope for the future, i.e. heaven, to be able to sit in chains like Paul and right. Silas and sing hymns, you know, to really rejoice in in suffering and tribulation because naturally right. we don't want that. No, nobody wants tribulation and suffering. Oh. It does. Remember. Remember, remember, remember. Remember where you were. Now remember where you are. And remember where you will be. Which allows us to, to take whatever comes. It, it's it's, more, than, it's more than that. It actually causes a place of rest in your life. And we read about that in Hebrews chapter 4. That there is in Christ a rest, a Sabbath rest. So what happened when God created the world? He got to the sixth day and he created humanity in his image and he said, man, this is very good. And on the seventh day, he rested. Did God cease activity on the seventh day? Created, but not sustained. Right, in other words, did, did God say, okay, I'm on vacation, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm going to Hawaii and I'm going to kick back on the beach, wherever cosmic, heavenly Hawaii is. Uh, not worldly Hawaii. So, no. What God did is he rested. He said, it is complete. This is shalom. This is the way it's supposed to be. And then something upset shalom. Right? So we call it anti-shalom. Uh, I don't know what we call it. We call it the way of the world today. And you can, you can get it in a lot of different ways. You can get it in that negative emotion that causes you to want to stay in bed. What is the enemy of your soul trying to cause you to, to see? He wants you to see a lie. That there is no purpose in what God did and what God is doing. And that even in tribulation... I can persevere. And the reason I can persevere is because I have hope. It results in hope. It strengthens hope. But it starts with hope, too. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace, shalom, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom, uh, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Right? So it's talking about that grace of God, what he has done for us. And when I think about that, when I ruminate on where God has taken me from and where I am going, 
and where I currently stand, even in the midst of troubles and trials. We exult in hope of the glory of God. Right, so it starts in hope, and it says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. So we have hope where we're going, right? But we also have hope in the present. So it doesn't matter what's going on in your life right now. You know, we talk about that. We say, yeah, God's fully aware of everything that's going on in our life. How many of you actually believe that? So when you're in the midst of a loss, and you're in the midst of suffering, how many of you really believe that God is, is right there? And yet that's, that's the truth. We can exult in the hope of the glory of God. We can also exult in tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character. In other words, nothing of God is without purpose. And proven character, hope. Right. So I, I got a, a colonel that I answer to in the office, and he has on his wall, competence follows character. So he recognizes it's what occurs on the inside that affects what happens on the outside. And that's what Paul's saying. What occurs on the outside is a result of what's going on on the inside. Remember, remember, remember. Remember where you came from. That you were not part of this promise. So when I was getting shot at, I was not part of that promise. I wasn't, I had no hope in my heritage. Um, you know, my hope would be that I would be a good drunk, like those who came before me, right? That I would be able to extinguish my pain, but that I had no hope of actually redeeming that into any, anything useful or anything purposeful or anything good, right? Remember, we were Gentiles. But then he wants to say, that, you know, and he says we were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, we, we didn't share in that promise, and we were strangers to, the, to those covenants, having no hope and without God in the world. But he wants us to understand that um, the, the circumcision were also in that same place. So even though we're called Gentiles, that we're uncircumcised, we're that the two classes of people is you get circumcised and uncircumcised, even though we weren't of the circumcision, the circumcision had nothing to boast about. Because the circumcision which was an identification with the promise that was given, right? The covenant. The identification with that was circumcision in the flesh. And he says, this is performed in the flesh by human hands. In other words, it isn't that which a human brings about that, that brings them into God's presence. They're not special by birth. So if, they would have, if I would have been Jewish, I couldn't have claimed... Special by birth, I've got a promise when somebody's shooting at me. Because there is no such thing as special by birth. All I have is something that is done in human hands. That pretty much levels the playing field right there. So it's a level playing field. Whether you're uncircumcised or you're circumcised, remember that you were at times separate from Christ. At that time, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. But now, right? So there's always, there's a remember, it was thus, but now, this is the reality of the situation. In Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, our shalom. What Christ did on the cross is he actually brought that covenant to full completion. He made it possible for us to be God's people in God's place with God's presence. And the evidence of that is that that which separated us from God, even in this world, the, the, the circumcision had a temple, and that temple had a curtain. That curtain was torn. That courtyard where you would come in to pray in the temple had a wall that separated the circumcised from the uncircumcised. That wall was eventually broken down. There was no longer this separation between the uncircumcised and God and the circumcised and God. He says, Now you've been formerly far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, that which is hostile towards God, the law which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, establishing shalom. Do you think that people at the time that curtain was torn recognized what that meant? Um, I think that when the Spirit um, opened the eyes of those who believed, um, they understood. But I don't think the high priest understood. I think that um, those that were witness to it and actually saw the torn curtain from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top, um, recognized that some natural event had occurred that was kind of like the uh, we know that the, it became dark unusually that um, there was an earthquake that occurred a quaking of the ground now it wasn't like uh, we might experience in California or the Cascadia subduction zone event when that event happens right it wasn't cataclysmic and that all the walls came down but they recognized that some natural event had occurred and that, oh, okay, it, it tore the curtain. So that curtain was made by hands of men. Hands of men repaired that curtain. But did they know it was God that tore it, or did they just think it was just that? I, th- I think those that did not believe thought it was just that. It was a natural event. But guess what? God worked supernaturally in the natural event. God worked supernaturally actually making it possible for us who uh, who were separated he broke down that dividing wall he took the law of commandments contained in ordinances right so that in himself he might make two into one new man thus establishing shalom so that's that is a supernatural thing it was not possible we were so far separated from god that, that it was not possible for us ever to be in his presence apart from him doing something. That's a supernatural event. It requires God to intervene. But he did it through the natural. The man Jesus was born in a, man, in a manger. And he declared the truth of God completely. 
such that every word that he spoke was coming from the Father. He said, um, you know, I don't speak on my own accord, but I speak that which the Father instructs me to speak. And that he, it was so perfect of a representation of the divine in human that if you had seen him, you actually had seen the Father. So the mercy and grace and compassion and everything that you would expect in loving God as well as the righteous anger was there, all of that is in Jesus. He's fully God, fully man. That's fully natural, right? The supernatural thing happened at conception. But the way he lived his life and the way he died was totally natural. He died our death, a natural death. And he was really dead. That's a really important important piece that we need to understand. And yet, in that natural event, he accomplished a supernatural result. He accomplished what only God could do. And the evidence that that was truly accomplished was that on the third day, without the hands of men, he rose from the grave and he appeared to many, not as uh, a ghost, but actually was in their presence. He said, hey, put your hand in my hand. Put your hand in my side. Let's sit down and eat a fish together. Yes. Ghosts don't eat fish. Right? <laughs> yeah, he was... And, and yet what we saw was this supernatural event. Make the two into one new man. He, the playing field was leveled. And now, from that level playing field, he could redeem that which was lost. He could actually bring us into his presence. He could establish shalom and complete the covenant. And he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. By it having put to death the enmity. So that which separated us from God died on the cross with Christ. It was taken out of the way. That's why that curtain was torn. So those that later came to understand that said, oh, I get it. All of the symbolism that God had been showing us, these figures of what um, he's doing for us in the heavenlies and that we have a pattern of here on earth, he actually accomplished. That Jesus actually, as the high, our high priest, went in and presented um, the, the um, required death because as God said, what did God say? He said, in the day that you disobey, that you do this, you will die. So death came, and there was only one way to remove it, and that was by death. And Jesus went in, and he presented one who was not worthy of death, presented their life for our life. That's what it means, substitutionary atonement. That he as a high priest brought the perfect atoning sacrifice. He died in our place. Such that we could be buried with him in his death. And raised with him 
in new life. That his life would be our life. And that's actually what it says in Colossians, which is kind of a sister letter to Ephesians. You read in Colossians 3, 4, it says, When Christ, who is our life, that's like an equal sign there, when he appears, we will appear as he is in glory. That our life, the very life that we have, which is eternal as a result of promise, is the life of Christ himself that rose from the, rose from the dead. Our life is not independent of God. Our life is a result of being in union with God. That he created us to enjoy his life with him. We don't have life in ourselves. It is truly a gift. It is the gift of God. What does it say? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. But as a result of that, we can enjoy that life, that eternal life with God, that we can be his people in his place. We actually have access to the court of the king. That, that which separates us from the throne has been torn from top to bottom. And we now can be in his presence. That's what this is speaking about. And then he quotes the Isaiah passage that I had up there earlier. He says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. Who was far away? Who was near? The Jewish nation, the remnant, that thought that they had by privilege access to God. They didn't have access to God through privilege. It was only by gift. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. That's what it says. So when you are no longer, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Let me stop there for a second. Uh, The foundation is the revelation of God, right? So I started out with um, the revelation of God in creation, the revelation of God in his special uh, revelation, and that that special revelation can be declared to me through his ambassador by sharing a testimony. When someone gives me their testimony, they're sharing that special revelation. That is the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that which was captured such that we could, through literacy, discover it 2,000 years later, right? That's that foundation with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the cornerstone here is not like a memorial where you etch in uh, a date and that becomes, you know, you see it on the corner of the building. Um, That's not this kind of cornerstone. This kind of cornerstone is the weight-bearing stone. It's the one that all of the foundation and all of the structure depends on. And for those of us that are going to go to Israel, we'll actually see a cornerstone that's over 500 tons on the, on the western wall of the temple. We're going, to, we're going to wonder, how did they get that stone there? Because the cornerstone is not necessarily just the weight pair, it's also the trueness. It's it, based so so the, the whole of the structure depends on it. So the trueness of the structure depends upon that. So if you don't have a true cornerstone, you have a bad building. And guess what this building is? This is one of the strongest declarations of 
who the church is in the New Testament, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's the declaration of who we are, folks. This is the church. That we are those who were formerly in the flesh, separated from God, separated from promise, brought near as a result of the grace of God, the gift of God to us, that we are now a new creation, a new man, is what it says, and that in making us new, he's establishing peace, he's establishing shalom, he's completing the covenant, and that he's reconciling us to God. Now, we don't reconcile God to us, God reconciles us to him. It's a work of God reaching out to us to pull us to him, right? To restore relationship, to have unity, and that's what this is about. It's about unity, union with Christ. We were distanced from his purposes and privileges. We now have peace brought uh, by Christ, and as a result, we are the people of God as God's dwelling, his church. Um, in the previous verse, it talks about the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Who's the apostles? Uh, the apostles are the apostles. They were the uh, original 12, <laughs> less one. So this is Paul referring back to the original so, so what was special about the apostles? Because Jesus had a, a whole troop that followed him around. There were those that were very near to him. Peter and John and James, sometimes in the inner three, they were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw this whole thing from the beginning. John did. John the Baptist pointed John the Apostle to Jesus and said, follow him. That's the Lamb of God. Um, So these were people that were eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry. And his ministry was a declaration of or a revelation of who he was in the world. That's what it was about. His ministry was not, um, he did heal people, but he healed people to demonstrate that that's who God is. Right? He couldn't, at that point, walking around the earth, he would have had to continue walking for a long time to heal everybody. Right? And yet, the real problem was one that he needed to die for. So, everything that Jesus did in his ministry was to reveal who he was to the world. And that's exactly what the apostles saw. They were eyewitnesses to his ministry, to his death, to his resurrection. And then when you read the gospel message in 1 Corinthians 15, what Paul says, he says, this is what was entrusted to me. Right? So let me read it to you. Uh, 15, he says, For I de- delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. And I, and I love this, what Paul says about himself. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. So he is an apostle. And not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
That's the Popeye statement. <laughs> I am what I am. Um, and that's, that's a declaration of where we are. You know, we say, well, I'm pretty imperfect. Well, you are what you are. But are you in Christ? That's the question. And if you're in Christ, you, the faith in Christ says he will accomplish that which he intends to do. He will complete the good work which he started. And so we have to have that confidence. And I know I'm out of time. I hear, I hear laughter and pointing to the clock and all this stuff. I actually did finish the passage this morning. Um, what's important is that this is what um, that, that declaration from the apostles, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, we are that building that is fitted together on that foundation. The apostles were the eyewitnesses. Um, we are secondhand witnesses. So we didn't see the ministry and death, burial, and resurrection. But nonetheless, we see with spiritual eyes, right? That it's the, the dwelling of God in the spirit within us as the church that is that building. Um, and that when we declare that, we are doing that which the apostles laid that foundation for. And that's what Bob's going to do here in a little while. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, thank you for giving me a few extra minutes. Lord, I just thank you for this time together. We uh, are just um, incredibly blessed by uh, what you've preserved for us in writing. We're so grateful that uh, your tender care throughout the ages preserved in writing for us uh, the declaration of who you are and what you've done, that you, uh, even today, challenge us and, and command us to remember um, where we were, what you've done, and what you're doing, and what you will do, Lord, in us and, and for us. Lord, we thank you for all of that. Lord, we ask that you be with uh, Ryan this morning as he brings your word. We ask that you be with Bob as he is, uh, uh, Bob and Julie is there uh, in Zimbabwe um, for the wedding that is taking place there and we just thank you for a time of rest for him and safety um, and just a time of communion with his family and in all of this we desire to be uh, in communion with you moment by moment that our hope is not a momentary hope but a hope that it will endure for eternity and, and that is in your promise and, and that promise is, is you Lord, we thank you for that. We ask for your protection, your provision, and we thank you so much for what you've done in service for us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.